Let's go ahead and stand as we bring our praises and our prayers to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen.
Thank you. 
Think of it that way. The God of creation allows us to talk directly to him. The more I think about that, the more amazing it is. It's unreal, yet it's real. How important is that to us in our hearts and minds? How important? How important should it be? How much time should we take to talk with him? How much time does he want us to take to talk to him? I'm wondering if I've ever asked him that. Have you ever asked him that? Maybe we should. These are just some thoughts that have run through my mind. It's awesome. I pray every night. I say, Lord, thank you for letting me talk to you. 
and thank you for talking to me. Because where would I be, or where would you be, if we didn't have the Lord to talk to? I know where I'd be. I've been there. Not because I didn't, not because he wasn't there to talk to. Because I didn't consider it important enough to do it. I paid a high price for that, and some of you, some of you did too. And I don't ever want to pay that price again. And thankfully, none of us have to pay that price again. Why? Does anybody know why? Exactly right. It's already been paid. How often do we thank him for paying that price? We ask for things a lot. Sometimes for ourselves, sometimes for others. <laughs> what does he ask of us? Simple verse. Not hard to forget. He says one thing. Not that he says just one thing. He says a lot of things. <laughs> but this one's important right now. Pray without ceasing. I don't remember in any, and I've seen quite a few different versions of the Bible, and I don't remember any one of them that that verse started with please. It did not sound like a request. It sounded like a commandment. Do you know commandments? We're not under the law. Oh, really? Boy, I guess I got to get a new Bible. <laughs> Interesting. That law has been perfected by him. He wants to talk to us. He wants to hear our praise. He wants to hear our requests. And he will answer them in his perfect will. And what's our job related to that? To live in his perfect will and accept what he decides is the proper and right answer to the prayer we give. That doesn't mean we don't give the prayers. It doesn't mean we don't ask for things. It doesn't mean that we decide what he's going to do. We just come to him and ask as his children. That's what he wants. And that's what this time is for. I thought I would just share a few of the thoughts that have been going through my head. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you thankful for you. And that you let us talk to you. And that you listen to us. And that you talk to us through your word, through other people, and through our mind. Lord, we truly appreciate what you've done for us and what you continue to do for us. The hope you give us, the strength you give us, the faith you give us, the grace, the mercy, the peace. It goes on and on. It's unbelievable to us, but yet we believe. We trust you. We love you. We want to serve you. 
Keep us all in your perfect will, Lord. Help us to, even if we don't understand your decisions and what goes on around us, help us to just put our faith and trust in you, no matter what the outcome. As Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, if we like it here, we know we're going to like it better there. What you have in store for us, you said that we cannot understand, we cannot comprehend. That's exciting in itself, Lord. Thank you for the exciting things that you give to us and you show us. Lord, you've heard the praise reports. We give you the glory for these things. It's nothing we did on our own. We know it's you, and we thank you for it. You've heard the prayer requests, Lord. I can't remember to repeat them all, but I do repeat a few of them. We pray for Jimmy. We know he's going through a rough time, a real rough time, more than some of us can even imagine. Yet I, we know that he's standing firm in your grace and in your peace. And he's glorifying you through it all. I know he's praising you. I know it for a fact. I thank you for his strength because it's uplifting to me. I ask for your healing hand on his body, Lord. But at the same time, I say, may your perfect will be done in Jimmy's life. Because we know that your perfect will is what's best for him. We know you have the answers. We know you have the ability to heal. You know the future. Do your perfect will in his life. Give him peace. Give him strength. Give him joy. And let him know that he's loved not only by you, but by the rest of us also. We'll praise you for that. We pray for Debbie Deardorff and her healing as she recuperates from this operation. May that all go well. And may she experience your peace as well. I pray for every person here tonight. Each and every person has situations in their life. Every day. Sometimes just different situations every day. And they're all to different degrees. And sometimes we feel that our situations aren't important enough to bring up. But we know that they're important enough to you. And so even though I don't know the situations in every person's life, and they don't know all the ones in my life, we know you do. And so in your perfect knowledge, Lord, I ask you, to meet each and every need of each and every individual person here tonight. And add to that any of the eagles, wherever they may be tonight. If they're traveling, give them traveling mercies. I ask you to be with Dennis and Debbie and Zach as they sit on the side of the highway waiting for a tow truck. Give them peace and help that all to work out. Lord, be with this service tonight. Be with Seku. Be with everybody that speaks. 
And may we hear directly from you. And may it touch each and every heart where it's needed. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you, Brother John. And as always, it's, it's wonderful to be here and to see what God is doing. I mean, sometimes you get caught up in the middle of it and you just think it's another week, it's another week. But I hear the reports of how many people listen to the different things going on and how many people are calling. And, and that's not based on one person. That's based on all of us. That's based on what God is doing through his grace and his power through surrendered individuals in this congregation. Doesn't mean it's always pretty. But it does mean that, you know what, God takes people that the world would cast aside and says, let me show you my strength, my wisdom through these people. And praise God, he's done it in a mighty and wonderful way. If you have your Bibles today, uh, we're actually doing two start texts, you can call it. Uh, the first one's in Hebrews 11. And uh, before I give the title because we have a certain person who's into titles and everything has to have a title because now it goes online. So I'll give you the title in just a second. But there is a very annoying commercial, very catchy and annoying commercial that asks a question that I guarantee you 90% of the people in this room and the other know what that question is. At the end of the commercial, they ask, what's in your wallet? Now, the annoying thing about it is they want to make sure that their credit card is in your wallet. But if you, <laughs> but if you really think about it, if you grab somebody's wallet with permission, or, you, or I don't advise this because purses are a little more sacred than wallets, so we'll just leave that at that. You don't ever want to go to, let me see what's in your purse. Like that's that, you don't do that. But when, <laughs> but when you deal with somebody, whether it's their purse or their wallet, you look in it, it will tell you what that person's about. If you really look in someone's wallet, it will speak volumes about that person. Like for instance, I have $3 in this wallet, which means I must believe in a cashless society. I have a debit card. Hmm. I, as a matter of fact, the debit card even says member since 2014. Um, first credit card. Safeway tells you where I shop. Fries tells you where I shop. Walgreens tells you where I shop. Zia, no need to explain that one. <laughs> Probation cards. A $2 bill. For those of y'all that know about the $2 bill in the wallet, y'all know that there's some, uh, what is not suspicion, it's um, superstition there. So this, what? I'll explain it to you later. Uh, <laughs> so this wallet explains or gives you a glimpse into what I'm about and what my life is. Whether I want it to or not, this wallet would tell off on me. So my question today is what is your confession? Not, you know, law and order, they get you in a room with the big bright lights. Where were you on the night of October 15th, 2011? 
I was at home, sir. Do you have any witnesses, any alibis? Not that kind of confession. We're not trying to get you to speak to a crime or anything like that. What a confession is, is what you say that tells off on what you believe. So what is your confession? I want you to think about that as we read these two foundation scriptures. So uh, if you would, would you stand as we read God's word? The first one we're going to read is in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 13 through 16. And then we're going to read briefly Matthew, the 10th chapter, verses 32 through 33. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 reads, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Matthew, the 10th chapter, 32 and 33. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father, who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father, who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, this is your word and we are your people. And once again, as we come before you freely and we thank you that we can, in this place, we pray that it is your word and your spirit that teaches us what you would have for us, each and every one of us, whether it be as individual saints or as the corporate body. But let your spirit lead us and guide us into what you would have for us to be edified by, to be encouraged by, uh, and to grow in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Or you can run. Uh, <laughs> We haven't even started yet, we're running. <laughs> Woo, it's going to be one of them kind of services. <laughs> Hebrews 11 is what we call the, well, what would we call this? Faith chapter or the hall of faith. So it's all of these people that launched out based on God's promise, God's word. And you could say they're really the same thing because if he speaks, he will bring it to pass. So they launched out on whatever mission that they were called simply because God spoke. And they believed God at his word. Not only did they believe God at his word, welcome back, uh, but they also, I'm just messing with you, by the way. If you have, don't get nervous. If you have to get up, you have to get up. I'm just messing with them. Um, they launched out because they believed God at his word. They launched out in some of the craziest and insane and unusual and impossible situations but they did it because God said and there was a process a step in which they did this they didn't immediately jump to confession there was a process to get to confession now confession the word literally means homologia which is to speak the same as 
So when we do confession, and oftentimes we think of confession as, you know, confess, brother, tell everything that you've done wrong, confess your sins. Well, that's a part of it, because really when you confess your sin, you're saying, Lord, you have said this is wrong, and I agree with your word that this is wrong. Whether I like it or not is not the issue. The issue is God said this is wrong, and I say, yes, Lord, that is wrong. That is confession. My confession is to speak the same as my father. Now, that can go a multiple, uh, that, that, that is bigger than just sin, and we'll get to that in a minute. But for them to have the confession that they are strangers and pilgrims, in other words, I don't belong here. They had to go through a process in order to get to that. The Bible says that not having received, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So they went through a process in order to get to the point of confession. It started first by having seen it in the first place. Lord, I see what you are doing. Now, for us as Christians, we don't walk by what we see. We walk by what? Faith. faith. So our seeing what God is doing is by faith in what God has said. Let me say that again. Our seeing what God is doing is our faith in what he said he will do. There are some people that uh, were sitting down, and, or I don't know if they were sitting or standing. I, I don't remember that part. But I know that wherever they were, they heard the word that motivated them to start what eventually spun off into this. They didn't see it. And, and, and in the journey, they went from place to place, and some of those places weren't very nice. They were very discouraging. They were very trying. But yet at the end of the day, and after so many years, here we are. A standard, a anchor set in this neighborhood where people are starting to gravitate to, where not only can they feel free to worship, but they can hear and they can grow in an environment that they feel comfortable in. And I use that word um, comfortable in the sense that they can rest here, not that they're comfortable in the sense that they're here and they're taking it easy. Because I guarantee you, you're going to hear some things in here that make you uncomfortable. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know you can rest in God here. So they launched out just like these people launched out. God said, go. And they says, you know what, Lord? I see what you're going to do by what you tell me, even though I don't see it by the evidence that's presented. So first and foremost, they had to see it and see it afar off. Then they had to be assured or persuaded of it. It wasn't the fact that God said, come on, come on, I got you. I got you covered. It was them having a conversation with themselves saying, we can trust our father. We can trust God at his word. They were convinced, not just seeing it, they were convinced that God's word would be performed. And when they were convinced of it, they embraced it. When you embrace somebody you are bringing them into your space. And for a short amount of time, to embrace people 
are as a unified person. You're in agreement. When you embrace something in your life, you are making it a part of you. When you embrace the principles of faith, you are making it a part of you. You are holding on to it, and where it goes, you go, and where you go, it goes. So when they embraced the promises, it wasn't something that they said, okay, I got it, we'll revisit this tomorrow. It became a part of their life. It became their lifestyle. It became how they thought. It became the motivation for every step that they took, for everything that they said, for everything that they did. And out of that is the fourth step. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. But it took realizing that God had a home for them and then uh, being under, uh, understanding that God had a home for them, then embracing that to the point where if God has a home for me, this place is not my home. And then they confessed based on that reality that I'm a stranger and pilgrim here because my home is over there. Amen. When they did that, they basically burned their canoes. They said, there is no going back. I'm no longer a citizen of that land. I no longer belong there. So when my confession, following the process of seeing it, embracing it, uh, seeing it, being persuaded or convinced of it, embracing it, and then speaking from what I know to be reality, I am literally saying I am convinced and I stand on the fact that my past is no longer for me and I don't belong there. When you and I are not convinced, our confession will tell off on that. And when it does, part of that confession is, I kind of believe God, but I can go back to where I used to live at any time. I still hold on to the idea that I can go back. So it reflects in my confession in some of the things that I would say. I'm going to tell off on somebody right now. I'm going to put their business all in the street as an example. There's somebody I know who used to love weed. Love weed. Grew up on it. Loved weed. And then they got to a point where they, couldn't, they didn't have access to it. They couldn't smoke weed, couldn't be around weed, couldn't do anything. Never mind the walk that they were on and the life that they lived, they were at a point where it was like alcohol and weed and all these other things are no longer a part of who they are and now physically no longer a part of who they are. But even though physically they're restrained from it, mentally their confession was still reminiscing on those days as if they could go back they embraced those days they relished those days they looked at those days with with joy and with with happiness which means that they really weren't embracing where they were supposed to be because they were too busy still reaching for where they used to be and then somebody one day caught them on the yard and said well you talk about weed so much here, you can have these. I'm not talking penitentiary joints. I'm talking, I know somebody. 
I'm not talking penitentiary joints. I'm talking about joints you roll on the street. And that person finally realized, that's not who I am. And not only that's not who I am, but this is what my confession is telling people who I am. Because where would he have even got that idea from? Where would he have even said, you know what? What this person needs is a joint in a place where you're not even supposed to have joints. He didn't mind read. It was that person's confession that told this person, this is where his heart is. So when you confess, I'm a stranger and I'm a pilgrim, you are telling the world, I don't belong there. And when you burn your bridges and say, I no longer can go back, and not only your confession, but your conduct shows and speaks loudly, not that you have to go around and tell people, I'm a Christian, I no longer live there. But what you say, how you talk, how you walk, will tell off on you. Hence, what is your confession? When the children of Israel were leaving, there was a mixed confession going on. Joshua, Caleb, Phineas, Eliezer were going forward to the land of promise. And several other people that were along with them, and by several other, I mean many, mucho, lots, said, you know, I remember in Egypt when we had our leeks and our melons, and so even though they sort of embraced the promise of God, they didn't fully embrace it because they were still looking for a place that bought them happiness. And they ended up not reaching the promise. Not because God didn't keep it, but because they put themselves in a position to be taken out of the race based on their confession. You say, Seku, it's not that serious. If it's not that serious, Matthew the 10th chapter, them that confess me before men, I will confess before my father. Them that deny me before men, I will deny before my father. And if homologia confession means to speak the same as, which means that you're going to heaven and you're saying, I'm with him. And he says, yes, Father, he's with me. Homologia. But the word for denial, I'm not going to try and say it in Greek, literally means to contradict. So imagine going before the Father and saying, I'm with him. And Jesus says, no, he's not. Oh, how, how do you do it, Steve? <laughs> you'd be hurt you'd be crushed it's worse than being dumped on prom night to, to, to be at the <laughs> to be at the end of it all and stand before the father and Jesus says depart from me I never knew you you say but why would he do that was that saint living a lifestyle among men that said I'm with Jesus or did that saint's confession while he was among men, say, I'm kind of with Jesus, but I'm doing my own thing. Come on, let's talk. It's quiet in here. What is your confession? What is our confession? What is it about what we say that tells off on us? Have we seen the promises of God, been convinced that he is a man of his word, Lucy saying man, but he is a God of his word. 
embracing his promise, which means that we're letting go of everything else and embracing what he has for us and then confessing that there is nothing else for me but what I'm holding on to. Do we realize, then internalize, and then exercise our faith in what God has spoken over our lives? Why, what do we confess? Well, for us, we confess Jesus. Ultimately, that is the only thing that really matters. Not my works, not my righteousness, it's as filthy rags, not the things that I offer, all the things that I've done, how much money I've contributed, how big my name is. None of that means anything. When I go before the Father, the only thing any of us will ever be able to say, it is but by the blood of Jesus Christ that I am forgiven and can stand before you. Other than that, there is nothing that a man or a woman can say to justify themselves before the Father. So we confess Jesus, but we just don't confess it when we get to heaven. We confess Jesus in our daily life, in our walk, and in everything that we do. The Bible says in John, the first chapter, uh-oh, what? I texted you all the scriptures earlier. Oh, we're going to have a meeting after service on the porch. We're going to pray for this iPhone. <laughs> John chapter one, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. When we come before the Lord and say, I am convicted of my sin, I recognize that there is no atonement for me except for the blood that you shed. I proclaim you as my Lord and Savior and invite you into my heart. We begin a journey eternally that starts with us being redeemed by Jesus Christ, recognizing that not only his blood covers us, but he is full of grace and truth. And there is no other grace that can get us to where we need to go. And there is no other truth that we can live off of except for what came through Jesus Christ. Period. This grace that he is full of is the ability for us to walk the way that we are called to walk and be transformed into who he has called us to be by the Holy Spirit. The truth is the reality that God has already proclaimed that everything else is trying to confuse and trying to cloud and God is not the author of confusion. There is a reason why he is very hard on what the Bible calls confusion and man has been trying to write that part out of it so that we can have liberty. That is not the liberty that God intended for us to have. If you look at all the things that we look at and say, I'm free to do, ask yourself like Paul did. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Ask yourself, do these things that you are free to do edify you as a son or daughter of God? Ask yourself that realistically, not biasly. I know how Seku can get, you know, justifying 80 miles an hour on a 55. I'm telling off on this, though, my whole driving thing, huh? It's a good thing I have a witness who see. Never mind. Um, 
Because Deb gave me that look like. <laughs> Deb and Steve, because Steve's, Steve's watched my driving too. Real, real subtle, real subtle, but going up the flagstaff, there's a couple times he. <laughs> Did that little side lean? Where's that speedometer at? But how, am, am I justifying that in my life? Am I saying, you know what, God, it's, it's, it's okay. I'm keeping up with the flow of traffic. I'm using that as an example because technically you are supposed to keep up with the flow of traffic. But we are biased to sort of excuse the things that we want to get away with without really bringing them before the Lord and saying, does this line up with your truth about my life? Does this liberty that I think that I have free me to be who you called me to be? Or does it bind me into my own pride and my own ego? God's grace, really for the Christian, is the only way that we can operate. God's truth for the Christian is the only thing that defines the world as it actually is. Think about it. We're talking about the world um, in, on Thursday, in our, in our Bible study on Thursday. The world is not something that God says, all right, I'm creating the world and I'm defining it by my truth. The world is something that man decided to create on the earth that God created and said, this is how we're going to run things. We're going to take bits and pieces from the word of God and try to operate it because truth is truth, but we're going to cloud the truth with our own pride and our own ego because at the end of the day, a fallen man is inherently wired to listen to the lies of the adversary. Think about it. Jesus talked to Pharisees of all people, the highest religious authority at the time. And in John the 8th chapter, he told them, you are of your father, the devil. He didn't say that as an insult. He said that as a truth. Yet they serve God in the temple, they walk, they do all these different things, and he still called them out on the carpet and said, you are of your father, the devil. Which means that if they, who are wearing the tefillim and the talit and all of the different things that they're supposed to wear according to God's word, and we're still called children of the devil, what makes you think of the rest of the Romans and Scythians and all the other people that were running around at the time or any of our unsaved buddies. They are inherently wired to listen to the deceit of the adversary. And the only thing that can break that deceit is the truth that doesn't come from how Sekou sees things. It comes from what God said. Period. Point blank. Period. So when we confess Jesus, we're not just saying, I believe in Jesus. We are confessing our life in him, that that is not only how we live, what we are supposed to be about, but also meaning that who we were as an old man, we can no longer go back to. You say, but I, I dip in the old man things all the time. If you say that, guess what? You're not alone. Every person in this room has dipped in the old man, well now, past woman. Come on, now, I'm not going to say old woman. I'm going to get in trouble. So I <laughs> So old man or the past woman before Christ, 
Everybody in this room and in that one and everybody listening to this, even if you're a Christian, will still dip into that at one point or another. Oh, not me. No, no, no. I'm I'm holy and righteous and just. And God has made me just and made me holy and made me righteous. Yeah. All right. Then why did you start to raise your hand when somebody cut you off? And at the last second, you kind of made a, a, a fist of defiance instead of the one fingered salute. And then you put your hand back down. And then you call them some choice words that you won't tell nobody else about. That old habit is still waiting there to retaliate when you think that it gives you greater strength or greater profit than what you have in God. I'm not saying this to plow corn. I'm getting real southern because I know what we're talking about. But I'm not saying this to plow corn, but it, it does make you think. We would love to say... Now that I'm in Christ, I am 100% set free and I can walk and I never have to worry about sin again. Is there anybody in this church that has that testimony? I gave my life to Christ and sin was no longer an issue. I walked right into the next sin 20 minutes later. <laughs> a long time, huh? You made it 20 minutes? I had last 20 seconds. <laughs> I was like Biden coming down the stairs. All right, I'm safe. <laughs> Let me stop. That, that's not nice. <laughs> We're not going to live the perfect life, but we are growing to where we start moving out the ways of our past and aligning ourselves with who we are. Don't get discouraged every day when something from your past pops up. If anything, it's something to homologia to speak the same as. And that's when confession comes in, when we go to the Father. Lord, I see this. And whether my heart is racing towards it or not, I still confess that this is not what your will is for my life. There are some people, and this was supposed to be, that, that this part was actually going to be something for a whole different day. There are some people that find it hard to confess and repent of sin because they think that they can't repent of sin until something on the inside of them no longer desires that and they can't stand it and they hate it. Well, guess what? You will never repent of sin. You won't. If you're waiting on the day to where sin just grows old and dies and you're like, all right, we're done with that, you're going to be in trouble. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Even if you look like Lot's wife longingly back at your past, you can still go to the father and say, you know what, there's still a desire, but I'm still confessing that it is not your will for my life. That is confessing our life in him. That is speaking the same as not only before Christ, but then towards the people who are around us. Say, cool, don't you remember when you used to, you know, bang West Side City, you was trued up and all this? Uh, no, 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 no. That's not who I am right now. I remember those days. I'm not a big fan of those days. Not in this life. And you know what? Those days happen. But that's not who I am. Now, if I go around, and believe me, I, I have on occasion, you get me mad enough, especially certain people get me mad enough, and I will say it. 
If I go around, hey, cuz, what's going on, man? What's going on, Crip? Guess what? As a Christian, I'm still confessing I got one foot in the past and one foot in the future. Mm-hmm, I see a lot of still faces staring at me, hoping that I hurry up so we can get the cake. <laughs> I'm trying to be lighthearted because I know that you end up looking at this and going, well, what is my confession? Let me pause before we continue and say that this isn't for you to go home and go, oh my goodness, I'm such a horrible Christian. It is for you to go before the Father and say, I see whatever the Holy Spirit is bringing to my attention. I see it, Lord. I confess that it is not your will for my life, but to still continue on walking in the provision that God has given you. Not to discourage yourself and take yourself out of the picture. Amen? Amen. There's a difference between recognition and confession. If I recognize something, that doesn't mean that I have to be a part of it. If I recognize that blue lives matter, doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean I have to be a part of it in order to agree with it. I just don't have any dog in the fight. So I can recognize, and for those of y'all that don't know what Blue Lives Matter is, that's, that's when they started Black Lives Matter, then they got Everybody's Lives Matter, and Brown Lives Matter, and Pink Lives Matter, and, and then Blue Lives Matter, which is cops. And a lot of people can recognize what these groups are about, but they're never really connected to them. There's a lot of people that recognize Christianity, but their heart is not in it. They're not sold out being a Christian. They're a Christian because grandma was a Christian, because uncle and them was a Christian. Uncle and them was a Christian. That all these people, <laughs> all these people around them were Christian, and they're in a Christian nation, therefore they must be Christian. But when they go before the Father, they still have that same conversation. I'm with him. No, you're not. So there's a lot of people that recognize, but they don't have any skin in the game. They don't have a dog in the fight. They're not a part of Christianity because it's not a part of them. It's not their life. It's not who they are. They still have one foot in the past and an option for the future. So there is a difference between recognizing and then confessing because it is who you are. Guess what? When you fall, when you stumble, when you start looking back, you still confess. That's not who I am. I see what I'm doing, but I know where I'm going. And you confess who you are. Confessions, though, will be tested. Now, I know earlier we said this isn't the court where, you know, or the, the police station interview and they put the big light in front of you and all that. But while I'm not a big fan of legal matters, confessions, testimony will be tested in court. And if you don't think that you're on display, the Bible says you shall be witnesses. Now, literally, the word is martyr, but you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and all the parts of the earth. In other words, you will be the ones to stand before the world and testify of me. You. And anybody who testifies will be cross-examined. Case in point, you go to work. I don't know where you work. Uh, you go to work. <laughs> we never talk about your job. You, we talk about your parents. You go to work, and you testify of Christ. But then you have somebody who sits next to you 
that cross-examines your testimony with other evidence that they see. If you believe in Christ, and I know this is a little close to reality, but I know who you work with. You, you believe in Christ, but then why do you do this? Why, why is this going on? Why are you upset? Why are you coming in here? Not saying that all these apply to you, but the, the co-workers that are around you will bring up things that don't line up with the confession that you're saying. They are cross-examining your testimony. And that goes back to, just like this wallet, your confession can reveal or betray your heart. It can tell off on you. The Bible says in Romans, the 10th chapter, 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. In other words, it's not you thinking, it is you speaking. Now let me tell you something that's going to go a little in the woo-woo area and the craziness and all that. But I want you to think about this. You thinking something is great. But until you speak it out, until you put that in the air, it's just you holding on to it. You say, well, that sounds crazy. How many people in this room have met somebody, dated somebody, and they say, I love you? And that's all they do. There's nothing that's behind it. There's no action. Sometimes there's no words. You're just supposed to know where they stand. It's a whole nother thing when you put it out there, because once you fire off that shot, once you speak something, you are now committed to that statement. You say, I still don't buy that. There's a room full of men in here. And I guarantee you again, 90% of the men in this room in high school with their first crush didn't say that L word because they knew that the minute that they said it, they were committed to it. She says, I love you. And you go, I really like your hair. Because you knew even at that age that if you speak it, now they're going to hold you accountable to what you said. So this world can look at you and you can go, well, I'm a Christian. But until you put it out there and speak it, now you put yourself into a position to be held accountable by it. However, it's the pressure that forces that confession out of you. As to where you really stand. Well, I'm going to get a lot of unhappy emails after this. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully everybody kind of sees this and says, Lord, help me grow from it. But it's the pressure. Now, again, I work in a situation, especially when I used to work nights. There was a lot of pressure. And often when you're under pressure, whatever's there is going to come out. Whatever is there. Because you're being squoze. It's one thing to say things when you're comfortable, when you're, when you're not uh, in the hot seat. It's a whole nother thing. And you got this thing coming at you and that thing and this person's yelling and this person's yelling and all this is going on and they get to squeezing, they get to pressuring you, they get to, 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 to applying all of the, the heaviness and the weight and you start getting down past where you're comfortable in the uncomfortable and now you got a decision to make. Do I respond in faith or do I respond in flesh? 
And you know what, Seku? Flesh it is. Now look, don't you ever yell at me like that again. <laughs> I'm using that as an example. Actually kind of happened last, what, Saturday? <laughs> Everybody's like, woo. But you see what happens when that pressure is on. We don't like it, but if you really want to see what you're made of, get it tested. Get your confession tested. I'm not saying go out there and ask for it, but when you really want to see what you're made of, it's not when you're comfortable. It's not when everything is rosy and you're super calm and relaxed. It's when you're in the middle of the trial, you're in the middle of the storm, when the boat's being blown around, and then because of it, you're no longer thinking of the mask that you wear or the role that you think you have. Now you are down to the base core operating system of who you are. And then at that moment, whatever comes out starts to tell off on where your heart is in that moment. So yes, with the heart, one believes. But if you start operating out of that old heart, you're going to find areas of A, unsurrendered weakness, or B, areas where you don't believe. Does that mean that you're not a Christian? There was a man that once said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So you can believe, but you can still struggle with letting everything go and saying, Lord, I'm all in. I'm fully committed. Even now, you can tell, like, like with the wallet, and you can tell, uh, I'm about to really tell off, but you can tell with the wallet where people are, you can tell by their finances how committed they are to the kingdom. You can tell by their music how committed they are to the kingdom. You can tell by their choice and who they date how committed they are to the kingdom. It starts to tell off. You say, but I'm a Christian and I mean well. Yeah, but then there are things that as God gets us down the road, he says, Mike, you see this? You really think this is profitable? Do you think this is edifying? And then we have a decision. Do I hang on to the flesh or do I walk in faith? You ever wonder why you end up going through really, really tough situations? We got a brother right now that's going through some serious, serious um, issues. And there's a statement that I say, and it's not original, but it's a statement that comes from my pastor and he got it from somewhere in Alabama. Suffering takes the shallowness out of you. you, you, you so, not supposed to be talking about worldly music, but there's two musicians, two artists, two singers, three really, but I will use two. Mary J. Blige and uh, uh, the Canary, the girl with the like seven octave range, Mariah Carey, that's what her name is. When I was growing up, I loved Mary J. Blige. Why? She wasn't all that, especially in her early years, she wasn't all that great a singer. She was decent, but she was no Aretha Franklin. But when you listen to her, you could tell she had been through something. And when she sang about the situations that she was going through, it resonated because you knew she had been through something. So there was the pretty voice, and then there was the suffering person who had learned how to be strong through the suffering. And that's just in a worldly sense. You look at Christians, you could just look at the church age. 
And the churches that deal with persecution is where you see the most uh, of God flourishing and the strongest Christians coming out of because they are constantly being tested and going through suffering, which makes them deeper and deeper. Whereas those who never suffer, they have a chicken in every pot and a car in every driveway and everything is going great and they never are challenged. Nothing is coming for their life. They never really have to dig deep roots. They can be shallow and still get all the benefits, but they never really know God like they should. Suffering takes the shallowness out of you. And those who have deep convictions and you ever sit down and talk to them, you will find that they have deep confessions because of it. And the only way that they got deep convictions is that they've been through something and they've seen God work on their life when they have been out on that limb, when they have been on the edge and there is nothing they could do for themselves. And God says, now you will see my strength perfected in your weakness. We like the idea of faith that we have some faculty to be able to go out and say, yes, Lord, I will go. But I still have some faculty in it. I still have a decision. You want to know the greatest example of believing in the father to keep his word? Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit and to be in a grave and not be able to do anything to resurrect yourself and depend upon the father to do it. And that is the example that he set for the rest of us. To be fully committed and to, com and to confess, Lord, my life is in your hands. No matter what it is that I'm facing, no matter what it is that I'm dealing with, it will not get the victory. You will perform your word. Amen. Turn, if you will, to Acts. We'll close with this. And as we're looking at Acts, the 20th chapter... <laughs> could have sworn I sent you that uh, two of the greatest tested confessions that we have in scripture are Adam and Jesus and I just want you to think about this and mull it over as you go home Adam and Eve were tested in wealth they were tested having everything laid out for them and given to them. And their confession aligned with the wicked one and they felt as if they were missing out on something which entitled them to reach out and grab what they were forbidden to have. But they were tested with everything. They had wealth. They had a home they didn't build. They had a kingdom set up for them that they didn't go out and fight for. Everything was given to them, and yet they were tested, and their confession didn't hold up. Then take the second Adam, Jesus. Whereas Adam was tested with wealth and having everything, Jesus went 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness, no food, by himself, in the heat, with nothing, and was tested. And his confession turned the devil around. And he says, I can't get him now. I'll wait for another time. Think about that. One didn't suffer and failed in their confession. And then suffered tremendously. One put himself through suffering and dependency upon God. It is written, it is written, it is written. And despite being in lack, the devil had nothing to say 
in order to persuade him off of his testimony, off of his confession, and the devil had to leave for an, 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 what it calls an opportune time because he couldn't get Jesus off his confession. Paul had a confession in Acts, the 20th chapter, verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church, and when they had come to him, he said to them, this is Paul. You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. Conduct and confession. Serving the Lord with humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful and proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. Testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his testimony. That was his life. That was his confession before people, a lot of them, he never even knew. Verse 22. And see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Can you imagine every city that you go to, every group that you talk to, and the spirit witness in that congregation is, Paul, you are going to a place with chains. You are going to be bound. You are not going to have your own agency. You will be held captive. Well, praise God. Going to the next city. Paul, you will be held captive. You will lose your agency. Nothing but torment awaits you. Well, praise God. And then you go to the next city. After a while, most people would get discouraged. <laughs> Especially if you hear that in church. But what's the next verse say? But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He could get upset, but instead he says, my life is meaningless. I'm going to do what God has called me to do, and I'm going to count it joy, despite the fact that the spirit, which I'm not going to say he's joking, I'm not going to say he's lying, he's warning me of what's to come, but I'm still going to consider it joy, and nothing's going to move me off my confession, because I know who I serve. And if he's taking me down this road of suffering, of pain, of chains and death, if I go with him, I know that I will go through it with him and ultimately it will not have the victory no matter what they do to me physically. And he turns around and writes later for each and every one of them. I am convinced that nothing shall separate me from the love of God, not chains, not death, not things alive, not things in heaven, things under the earth. He lists all these things. It doesn't matter. You can kill the flesh, but you can't separate me from the love of God. So I'm going to count it joy in the middle of suffering because you know what? I still belong to God. And if you get rid of this mortal coil for me, all you're doing is helping me get to the Father that much faster. Amen. You could take from me, but you can't take him from me or me from him. And knowing that I'm not even supposed to be in that position except by his grace and he already gave that to me, then it doesn't matter. If I serve and I die in service to my Lord and he writes again in another part of scripture, for me to die is Christ. 
For me to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. And for me to die is gain. It doesn't matter. Once I gave my life to him, no matter what happens, the victory is already won. That's his confession. He used points of his old life, but he says, I'm no longer that person. Behold, all things have become new. That's not a road that I can go down. That's not an avenue for me anymore. That is no longer an option for me. I remember who I was in those days, but those days are over. I now know I am a citizen of heaven. And so as I walk along this earth, I go through this world, no matter what it is, I pass my time here as strangers and pilgrims because this is not my home. It is a place where I abide with a dog who does not like fireworks. But at the end of the day, when I go to heaven, all of that will become furnace fodder. Because this place is not my home. I'm no longer a citizen of Arizona, a citizen of the United States, or a, 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 a resident of the global economy. I am here as a tourist, so to speak, an ambassador, really. But ultimately, I belong to the kingdom of God. That is my confession. You say, Seku, what if that doesn't line up with your life at times? Then my confession is, Lord, I see where this does not line up with the confession that I'm supposed to have. And let me get right back on track with you as for where my life is supposed to be. What is our confession? Do we get angry with ourselves and call ourselves stupid and dumb and all these things? I'm inadequate, I'm trash, blah, blah, blah. Or do we say, you know what? I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. Do we turn around and say, you know what, I will never be better than what these people have said about me? Or do we turn around and agree with God and say, I am a new creature in Christ? Do we look at things and say, you know what, I don't see how I'm going to be able to get that done? Or do we turn around and look at it and go, if God called me to do it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what is our confession about him? What does he say about us? Does he say, you know what, I'm about tired of these people? Or does he say, I will ne never leave you nor forsake you? Does he say, you know, the world's going to be a problem and eventually I'll figure out a way to get rid of it? Or does he say, in the world you will have tribulation, pressure, constant testing of your confession. But guess what? I have overcome the world. Does he say, when you get to heaven, we'll figure it out? Or does he say, I leave to go prepare a place for you? Because this isn't your home. Do we start speaking the same as God? And not just with saying the same words, but do the words that we say and the things that we do on a daily basis tell the people around us that we're with Jesus? Or does it tell the people that we are recognizing Jesus, but we're doing our own thing? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you committed to us that eternally you have poured out your blood, had your body broken through your son, Jesus Christ, in order for each and every one of us to be restored to you and to walk in the purpose and calling that you have given us in our life. So, Father, we thank you for that privilege. And, Lord, we pray that our hearts align with you in unity as you have aligned yourself with us. Lord, help our confession, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, to constantly confess that we walk with Jesus, the King of Kings 
and the Lord of Lords who has all power in heaven and on earth in his hands. Lord, help our confession line up with your promise and what you have already spoken over our lives. That we don't deny you before men. That we confess you before men. That we speak of your goodness even in the suffering. That we speak of your love even when we feel alone. That we speak of who you are and who you are to us and who we are to you. Even when we think the people around us won't accept it. Lord, help our confession to constantly speak of our heart that we believe and that we know you to be our Lord and our Savior and you have given us a path to the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you all stand as we prepare for communion? If you think about confession, which is speaking the same as, this ordinance that we're getting ready to do is a confession of Christ's love for each and every one of us. Despite the fact that you feel unlovable, despite the fact that you feel abandoned because you don't see or you don't hear like you think you should. But in, at the end of it all, he has given us his word and he will keep it. This sacrament that we do, this communion that we do, is a continual testimony. I have already paid the debt for each and every one of you. It is finished. It's over. And now all we're doing is aligning ourselves with the work, the finished work that he has already done and proclaiming it, not just encouraging one another as a church, but proclaiming it in the world in which we go into. This cup that we partake of, this isn't just juice. This is a sign of his love for us. This bread that we partake of isn't just a wafer. It is a reflection of what the son did for each and every one of us so that we can be restored to the Father. And when we take of this communion, we are not only acknowledging that fact, we are celebrating that fact. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Thank you, Father, for the body which was broken for each and every one of us. May the breaking of this body and the subsequent restoration of your body through each and every one of us as the body of Christ not only be a place of wholeness but also a place of healing and deliverance and growth and strength as you have called each and every one of us to reflect you on this earth in Jesus name we pray amen when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that wasn't just shed for our atonement, but it was shed so that we may be able to see your love for us demonstrated in such a visceral way. What you went through, and you could have done it in many other ways, but you chose to have your son suffer for us so that we could learn what love is 
demonstrate. And so we thank you for this and we pray, Lord, that this blood in us, on us, and through us will never be trampled underfoot, but will be a constant demonstrated reminder in our lives, through our lives, of your love for us as we lift you up, that other men may be drawn unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. For as often as you rise up from this table, you proclaim his life. I pray that even in myself, but for every person in this room, that we look at our actions and we look at our hearts and set them before the Lord. And to say, Lord, let my confession and my conduct be one that glorifies you, one that speaks of my allegiance, one that speaks of your sovereignty, one that speaks of what you have created me to be, fully and wholly, in Jesus' name. Would you all lift your hands for the benediction? <clears throat> now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. God bless you.